You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by Savage Arms. Now, Savage has recently introduced the 110 Ultralight. Savage has teamed up with Proof Research once again to craft a barrel specific for a purpose-driven firearm. At around 6 pounds, the 110 Ultralight is designed to combat elevation and the elements while maintaining the performance of a factory-blueprinted Savage 110 action. The carbon fiber wrapped stainless steel barrel and melanite skeletonized receiver minimize weight for success on any mountain hunt. Now, I could go on and on about all the good things about this firearm, but what you need to do is go to savagearms.com, check out the 110 Ultralight. They have it available for the 308 Win Mag, the 270 Win Mag, the 28 Nosler, the 28 Ackley Improved, the 30 6 Springfield, and so on and so on and so on. They got it for just about uh, any cartridge. So, what you need to do is go to savagearms.com. Check this rifle out. It's a badass rifle. SavageArms.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> In this episode of the Houndsman XP Podcast, we've got Luke Worthington coming to us from Gillette, Wyoming. I am still in the Houndsman XP Mobile Command Center from uh, coming at you live from Kalispell, Montana. Still up here doing some work, but I did take some time to get with Luke Worthington. And uh, Luke is an employee on a huge ranch in northeast Wyoming. And we're going to sit down, and you're going to hear right away the energy that Luke Worthington has for life in general. But also, more importantly, he has a high extreme attitude about his hounds. 
They uh, are with him all the time. They go to work with him. He spends a lot of time with them. Man, we're going to hear how Luke uses his hounds on the ranch. And you're going to really enjoy this conversation with Luke. Um, I mean, he's a guy that's just high energy and would be a guy that I think anybody would love to to go share some time with in the, the mountains chasing bobcats and lions. And, and uh, he's versatile with his hounds. He's using them for coon hunting. And just wait. You won't, you'll have fun with this conversation. Before we get there, we want to talk to you about Patreon. Patreon is our way of generating funds to keep the podcast on the air. And we have all kinds of cool stuff over there from tailgate talks. that are like many podcasts to uh, pro tips and videos and articles. And we also offer our Patreon supporters and that was a really loud bong right there that I don't know that I'm going to be able to edit out. But, uh, hey, we're going to send you codes for products like Paws Are Protected. Paws Are Protected. Build your pack from the ground up. Precondition those feet. Keep them in shape. Your dogs are going to be able to hunt more every day, uh, and they're going to have tough feet and feet that can, can handle the rough conditions that we send our hounds into. So Paws Are Protected. Build your pack from the ground up. Also want to shout out to Big Frig. Big Frig is a premier cooler company. Check them out. We're going to be posting links soon where you can buy Houndsman XP merchandise right from the Big Frig site. You can order a cooler with our logo on the top. You can order tumblers with our logo on them. And we're going to be posting that up for, for you real soon. But, but do your homework now. Go check out Big Frig and their Badland series cooler line we also want to give a shout out to uh, phone scope and scoped industries pyro putty all those all those products are available to you at scoped industries so check out phone scope it's a way for you to hook up uh, your phone to a spotting scope or binoculars and get some outstanding photos and record your hunts check out stickbow outdoors at stickbow.com Bart Hogg is down there in Virginia. He's hitting it hard right now with his hounds, bear hunting, and just getting after it down there. Extreme performance in Virginia. The Stickbow Outdoors offers you a log book and a health records book. So another way for you to up your game to extreme performance. Bart was featured on the podcast. He talked about this, this uh, hound log book and his hound records book. And uh, if you're going to be in this thing, you got to do it smart. If you're going to be extreme, you got to track the progress. You got to be honest with yourself. And you can do that by logging your hunts using Stickbow Outdoors Hound Log. Check them out at stickbow.com. If you're a Patreon member, you're going to get a code for 20% off of that product. So join us on Patreon. We're going to hook you up. And. Hey, I want to give a shout out to Lauren and Seth who have been uh, just, they're getting after it too. I know Seth's getting ready to ramp up that hunting buggy down there on the New Mexico prairies and bring us some more outstanding videos and photos from chasing hares with his his uh, speed dogs down there. And Lauren's been getting after it in the Coonwoods. 
The only thing I've been getting after is work, but I'm ready to wrap that up this week and get after it in the mountains and also back home. So, hey, enjoy this podcast. I really want to thank every one of you for hanging in there with us during my adventure, I guess, a business venture and staying faithful and supporting us at Houndsman XP. You guys are great. We couldn't have this podcast without you. And uh, one of the things that you can do to support us again is go to Patreon. And I want to shout out special to our Patreon supporters. You guys have been, been awesome. So check it out. Website, hxp.com. Learn how you can get involved at Patreon. And let's get into this interview with Luke Worthington. Enjoy, folks. Peyton, you should take that cat in the room because she yells at me. I'm pegging it. I'm back, Luke. Sorry about that, yeah. man. I, I, I right. usually don't ever get out of the truck right. without having the Copenhagen on me, but Copenhagen <laughs> is uh, is crucial to podcasting. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Yep. Yep. That. Like I told you, I said. My wife goes to town. She goes, what do you need? I said, Copenhagen, dog food, and beer. And I'm I'm good shape. Yep. And with that, we're going to start. And she's rolling her. With that, we are starting <laughs> the podcast. And the voice you're hearing is Luke Worthington from Gillette, Wyoming. Welcome to the podcast, Luke. Thanks, Chris. So Nice to be on. Kind of a privilege to have you ask me to come on. Oh, well, you know, after you made that comment the other day on, on social media, I called you out. <laughs> I hear I knew that was what you're up to. <laughs> now, Luke, uh, tell us where uh, we just been kind of talking about country life and and different stuff before we started the podcast up here. But uh, tell us where you're at, where you're living, what your day to day life is like, Luke, because it's pretty cool. Well, I I live in northeastern Wyoming between Gillette and Buffalo, Wyoming. Um, I'm a hired man for a ranch out here and punch cows and chase sheep and hunt and run my dog. That's not all I do. Yeah. Yep. So that area right up. Kill a lot of coyotes. You're in, you're in prime, you're, you're in prime coyote country right there. We are, man. It's, uh, there's a lot of them. There's a lot to be had out here for them coyotes that's for dang sure especially if i'm working for uh half cattle and half sheep operation and we're we're constantly on them coyotes and they are they'll devastate a sheep herd it's a it's a big deal where we're at yeah do you have black bears up in that country nope nope no bears usually uh we've had lions come through in town and stuff but it's it's a pretty pretty seldom thing that happens around here we have uh just a lot of coyotes and some bobcats yeah so you know that's about it for predators and coons you know very few coon but i said up there but from where i'm sitting i can say down there down in that country because i'm up in kalispell i've I've been up here living the living the the mobile home life with in my camper working up here in kalispell i'm i'm going on two months now and um, but, um, so now I can say down there because I did get honked at and told, 
told to go back to Indiana the other day here in Kalispell. They probably thought you're an antelope hunter. <laughs> they, I think they are so <laughs> tired of seeing people here. Kalispell's, somebody told me the other day, it's the third largest, uh, fastest growing con- uh, city in the country right now. Um, no, really? Yeah, and that's what's keeping me in business up here, and that's why I came up here is because of the housing boom and, and the roofing opportunities for uh my riffing contractor business and stuff like that. So um, I just think the locals are sick of seeing people from out of town. And um, I told, told Larry, I said, man, I, I, I really wanted to switch plates on the truck eventually so that, so that I don't have that. But uh, yeah, but Luke, tell us about, tell us about that ranch you're living on. I li- I work for uh uh it's three brothers that own this place and uh it's a big place. We run uh thirty five hundred to four thousand cow calf pairs and probably fifty five hundred head of sheep as of right now probably. Uh it's it's a big place. It's uh probably just over two well, two hundred plus thousand acres and a lot of BLM lease. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's probably deeded acres and then with blm it's it's big we lease a lot of blm around here and um that's about it it's a busy lifestyle that's <laughs> for dang sure especially this time of the year we're shipping calves and getting ready to work sheep off and get some lambs weaned and try to get all the babies out of here and get prepared for winter and start feeding all winter. So if you were, you were to drive across so, those deeded acres on that ranch, you know, and, and start on the south end and drive to the north end, how long would it take you? Well, I live on the north end of this brother's place, and it's about 15 miles as a crow's fly. Yeah. And it takes me, it takes me about an hour, about 45 minutes to an hour to leave my house and get to his doorstep. And he lives where on the ranch? <laughs> he lives on on pretty much the south side of of uh, what his dad originally got in the fifties. Ah. But this ranch is uh, over a hundred years old. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a you know what the main reason for me working for this place is that there's no ranch managers. Um the managers are the owners mm-hmm. and they're with you there. They're working side by side with you every day. They're not living in Tahiti calling you to bark and orders at you. You know, they're right by your side. They're not at the, every day. Yeah, they're the not week. at like their son. Yeah. They're not at their winter home in Tahiti and telling you how you ought to be doing things on the ranch in Wyoming in December. That's right, man. They're workers. And that's why, that's why I work for them is because of that. I don't, nobody likes to get barked orders from somebody who doesn't know what's going on. And these guys, they know what's going on. That's for dang sure. Cause they're there and <laughs> they're there every day. So man, that's cool. It's fantastic. That's cool. That's a, it is, it, it really shows that really shows worth ethic. And that's why they've gotten as big as they've gotten. And they, and they're the people who deserve that. You know, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are jealous of them. How much is enough? And I was like, man, they work for it. There ain't no, they're not doing this stuff from Arizona. You know, they're up here in the cold. They're out there feeding. 
you know, it's it's a neat deal. It's a really really cool deal but when i was coming back you don't see that very often yeah when i was coming back from um uh it must have been the swan this year swan valley in montana i was coming back and i got to gillette and there was was it this year it may have been this i can't remember if it was this year or last year but all of a sudden i mean it just turned into a blizzard at gillette and that was dicey driving across 90 coming coming back through there into South Dakota and, and different stuff. That was the only part on the trip. And I thought, man, you, you, when you get to Wyoming, you start seeing the snow fence and all this other stuff. And you're thinking, whoever lives out here is either crazy or super tough. And, and we're talking to him now. So are you crazy or are you super tough? What's, what's the answer to that question? I, you know, we don't get the snowfall like people think we do. They think we're in six foot of snow, and it's not like that. It's uh, it's windy. It's windy Wyoming. Yeah. And that's summertime, it's 90 degrees, and it's, there's no wind. And then when it's cold, it is blowing 30 miles an hour, and just it can snow an inch and look like there's no snow on the ground, but there's six foot drifts, you know. Wind <laughs> just howls in the wintertime. <laughs> And you can't get a break. When it's hot, you want a little bit of wind, and it's steel as can be. And then when it's 30 below, it's it's blowing 30 miles an hour, and you're like, man, give us a break. Right. <laughs> Let's find a happy medium. Yeah, yeah. But it never works out. It's windy all the time. It's definitely an inter- interesting country. I think the most desolate place, I guess last year when I came back from the Swan, I dropped from Gillette and went down to Cheyenne. And what what road is that that runs from Gillette down to Cheyenne on the east side? Well, there? if you went from Gillette, you probably took you took Highway fifty nine, and then you jumped onto I twenty five outside of Douglas. Yes, and you hit some like when you're going through Chugwater and Wheatland, and I didn't go through anything. You know, you can you can show up and you can see semis on their side, and that that wind. Man, it hammers them semis. It blows semis over constantly down there. There wasn't anything in that country. I was amazed at how <laughs> desolate that country was. I saw one cow, and I think he was lost. There was, I think she was lost. You know, that's that's the only thing I saw yeah. going down through there, and uh, it, was, it was crazy. I was thinking, and you see, right off the interstate, Wyoming's the only state I think I've been in where you can actually exit the interstate onto ranch access roads. You know, there's, you don't have to hit, it's like right off of the interstate. It's not an exit ramp. It's nothing. It's like ranch access road ahead and bang, you can turn right off the interstate and turn onto a dirt road going to a ranch. Right. It's wild. I think it's I, yeah, it's wild country for I sure. I love it because you can actually go, you can go eighty miles and not hit a town. There's, that's pretty, pretty rare nowadays. Is Wyoming? You know, even going through Montana, you can you can hit a town about every thirty six, forty miles. Yep. You know, Wyoming, you can you can cover some ground and not hit nothing. There's not like between Gillette and you hit Gillette and then right heading towards Cheyenne, and then from right to Douglas, you got. Man, you got a long jaunt, and a lot of people are running out of gas because they're used to hitting the town, and they ain't. I was just going to find a gas. I gauge. was just going to say that you better be paying attention to the gas gauge when you're driving that stretch of road right there, because there isn't anything out there. And uh, yeah, that's a fact. 
You know, it's it's is Wyoming still the most sparsely populated state in the United States besides Alaska in the lower 48? I think yeah. at one time it was like six people per square mile. Seems like I remembered that. I don't know what it is, but I think I still think we have less than a half a million people. I think we have we might be over that now, but I don't know. I bet you it's five hundred thousand people in the state of Wyoming. Yeah, and it's a big state. That's the thing. So it's a it's big pretty, state. It's not a small place. Yeah, there's probably ten antelope to one people. <laughs> one person, I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, probably four cows to one person. So right. I'm going to Google it real quick. i got to know now. Wyoming pop. Yeah, I, I bet you it's about 500, 564,000 is my guess. How much? What did you say? 564. According to the 2020 census, the population, total population for Wyoming is 549,000 people, 914. Yeah, there you go. There you go. And it looks like there's total yeah, see. total male population is 279, 175. So that means you guys are still outnumbering the women in Wyoming. So if you can find a woman in Wyoming, you better hang on to them because there aren't a whole lot to go around. That's right. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Yep. Yep, that country that runs down through there where we were talking is so desolate. I mean, I think I I heard there's a girl, a pretty girl behind every tree. You just can't find the tree. <laughs> exactly <laughs> right, man. There ain't no trees around here, and if you are, they're hollow. <laughs> so, I was looking behind. Yeah, broken down old cotton. Yeah, yeah. Well, hey, let's talk about hounds and what you're doing with hounds out there in that in that country. Because it sounds like, are you using the hounds for? Uh, first off, let's just start off with with what kind of hounds you got and uh, what got you into hounds, and we'll just have a general discussion about that, Luke. I've I've seen you on social media, and and you know I've talked to you a few times. We've messaged back and forth and stuff, and and uh, but talk to us about Luke Worthington, the houndsman. Okay, well, I, I bought a hound, oh, about nine years ago, and he was a, a big old old school black and tan. Yeah? And uh, Do you remember? I started, I tried training him, and I was, I was actually living in town at this time. I grew up on this ranch, and when I was a kid, and then I left because I was pipeline welding, and that, that was a lot of traveling, and... A lot of traveling and stuff. Well, we had a house there in Gillette, and I went and bought this old school black and tan. Me and my daughter actually went and picked this dog up. He cost a hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, named him Rocky, and I tried training him and here and there, and never really committed to to training a hound dog, you know. But I was. I was trapping a lot. I like to trap coyotes and bobcats and, uh, yeah, I trap anything beavers. I do beaver projects for game and fish and, uh, beaver relocation and stuff. And so I started, I started getting these bobcats caught and, and I trap a bobcat, big old 
I got it to where I could catch almost all Tom Bobcat. Kind of got it figured out on how to how to get away from catching the females and uh, started hammering these Tom Bobcats. And uh, I would see another Tom would come in and just whoop the crap out of the cat in the trap. Yeah. And then they'd be gone. And I was like, well, I got a hound dog, you know, let's, uh, we'll catch. you know, I walked him down there and he saw that first, he saw that first bobcat in the trap, man. And that thing, I'm not going to lie to you. He was terrified. Absolutely <laughs> terrified. Yeah. You know, kind of cowering up and I'm like, you're such a, you're a wimp, you know, mm-hmm. which wasn't the dog's fault. If I were to have him nowadays, I believe he would have been. A brute, you know, because he was just kind of an honor old black and tan. But, but uh, I started getting him away. I wouldn't show him the trap or the cat in the trap, but I'd find them traps that would come in and get that cat that I was trapping. And then pretty soon he was catching them. You know, that other cat that come in, he'd go out there and catch it. And I was like, well, this is, you know, this is pretty cool. What what made him transition and from being afraid? Most of them were. What made him? What made him? You know, I think that it was, Chris, I can't tell you. Um, he tra- he would trail anything. Yeah. You know, and it was, uh, that cat in the trap, I think, just had him spooked, you know. But uh, I would walk him out to just the tracks, and sure enough, I, I came home one day, and I told, I told my wife, Abby, I said, I said, I caught this one. There was tracks leaving, so I put that black and tan on there, and I said, he caught it. Did he catch? He, you know, and I shot it. I shot it with a twenty-two pistol. Catch it on the ground. What he that? would catch it on the ground, or he'd ledge it, or he baited up. Yeah, yep, baited up. Yeah, he, it was on a ledge. It was kind of on an embankment, you know, and and he was kind of on the edge of it, but he's keeping his distance. He didn't. Dogs I have now, man. You talk about a vet wreck. <laughs> you know, yeah. but he's a. Uh, he'll. Uh, he was keeping his distance and. You know, and I was like, yeah, hell of a job, you know, and I'd, I'd get it shot and I'd have to hang on to him, you know, a little gun shy and did that a couple times. And, and then he kind of trail up coons and never, never really went strictly coon hunting. You know what I mean? Right. Never just like got the dog out and went coon hunting. It was always kind of like a trap line dog. And, uh, and then few years later we were offered this this place to move back out here and and we made the move and i just started piling up the house <laughs> it was and uh, i found an ad in the paper or i uh, know i found an i don't i don't remember where i saw that ad for this these uh blue tick walker cross pups and uh so i was like this is the deal to get another dog in this house is to go up my wife's birthday's October seventh. It was yesterday. Yeah. And and I was like, I'm gonna go pick up this puppy and I'm gonna get her this dog to make it hers, you know. Oh, that's a great plan. But, and I I got <laughs> off I got off of work and I was like, Man, I'm gonna go get this dog. This dog was fifty bucks. Yeah. I think she cost fifty dollars. And uh I went there on her birthday. She actually had the flu on her birthday, sitting in the house on the couch sicker than all get out, and I drive to Pine Haven, Wyoming, little tiny dinky hound meets this guy at this uh, small town grocery store, and and I told him, I said, pick me out a female, 
Then he sent me a picture, a couple of them. I said, I want that all blue one. Well, I went to pick the dog up, and she was mostly black, you know. Yeah. Not the dog that I picked out over the picture. Of course not. She was, man, she was, I, I was hooked on blue ticks, man. As soon as I got that dog in the truck, I was like, I like this blue tick. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so she was half blue tick, half walker, and got her home, gave her to my wife, and, uh, you know, she was, she was an absolute terrorist. She was uh, let's 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 stop. out of control. No, Before we get into talking about this dog, what ahead. was your wife's reaction to getting a getting a hound dog pup for her birthday? I've got to know this part. No, oh, she loved him, man. You know, if I could give one one hound guy uh, a quick tip, there you go. If your wife don't like your dog, you have a big freaking problem. <laughs> <laughs> you you. You know, I, I have a good buddy I hunted with, and, and he he got rid of all of his dogs because of his wife. And if your wife doesn't approve of it, you got to get something figured out. So if your wife ain't supporting you, you probably ain't going to do very good. So what you're, you're saying is time hunting. you need to get a new wife. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Don't get rid of your dog. Just go, go trade in the wife. As my wife's sitting here shaking her head going, you don't know what you just yeah. said. <laughs> I would say the same. If my wife, no, that's uh, yeah. My wife has heard the same thing, so uh, I'm not sure that my wife would be as graceful about getting a hound pup because this is usually my mo. Okay, so when when the kids were small, it's like, oh, well, I'll take the kids and let them pick out a puppy. Well, my wife already knew that game. She was like. Yeah, you went and got a, got the kids a puppy yeah. for you to hunt. Yeah, I get it. And she she's got she's got me all figured out. So, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, go ahead and resume your story there, Luke. So, so I went in and I went to that small town, got this blue tick, brought it back. My wife's throwing up on the couch, you know. <laughs> and I gave her this little blue tick pup and she, and that pup just curls up with her oh, yeah. and cuddles with her all day. And she goes, I love her. We end up naming her Lizzie. And uh, we name her Lizzie. And that that dog was a terrorist, man. She was she wasn't tear stuff up, but she was gone. She would go outside and just go to trailing. And, you know, I think when that dog was 12 weeks old, which I've, I've never seen it since, but that dog would start smelling something, and it, she would start opening a little bit, you know? Yeah. And uh, she just, it, it was phenomenal. And I was like, wow, this is what a real dog can do, you know, because I completely ruined that black and tan. I'm going to straight up say it. It was, it was inexperience and negligence is what ruined that dog. It wasn't the dog. Mm-hmm. So I did it completely different with this dog. I took her with me every day, and I raced her in the house. And uh, she was, man, she was just good. She caught her first coon. I was out doing a beaver trapping job, and she ran. It was winter time. She goes trailing through them cattails, and she's this ball, and she had the most beautiful ball mouth, just that nice, clean ball, and. All of a sudden, she gets this coon jumped out of this cat, these cattails, and she trees it instantly. Just valley up, 
just straight up the tree and me and my, my little boy Parker was uh he he's trapped with me since he was a year and a half old and Lizzie has a coon, Lizzie has a coon, you know. Yeah. And went and I was like, We gotta shoot it out. So I shot it out with a shot it out and she went to you know, as soon as it hit the ground she jumped back and she I think she was six or I think it was six or seven months old and she went to pulling hair on that thing and I threw it up there on a down tree and took a picture with her and my little boy and since that day that dog was even a bigger terrorist, you know. Yeah. She was out hunting. She's like, Okay, I got this I got this figured out. And then by the time she was uh before she was a year old, she was out there catching. Well, I'd take her coon hunt, run these river bottoms and creek bottoms. We weren't catching coons. You would, you know, that one year I hunted two times a week, all spring, all summer, into the fall, and I caught six raccoons. That's how how slim the coons were. Wow. Well, uh, she treats seven bobcats that summer. Mm. <laughs> she was. She was just pounding them things, and I'm like, she would take off through the hills, you know, and and then she'd have a bobcat caught, and I'm like, man, this is really impressive. Yeah. You know, because it's summertime, it's hot, and she was just hammering them cats. And so winter comes on, and by now I have a, another blue tick pup, and I got this old black and tan, um, this high tan black and tan female dog it's a finished dog that i bought from some guy and you know how that goes you buy a puppy you can get a finished dog for the same price <laughs> so, so i was a sucker to all that stuff and and i got i went and got that another blue tick pup and bought that high tan and threw her in there and she was a, she was a coon hunter man that dog she if she opened she was always chopped but if she opened up you knew what it was. Yeah. You're like, oh yeah, she has a coon, but that that blue female would take it over, and she was so fast, so fast, and um, must have been the walk. Take it over right? and usually get it put up, and you know, I I don't know what it was, but ever <laughs> since that dog was a pup, she was looking up. There was no, it was completely instinct treeing is what she had. It was. It was awesome. I say that I say that as a joke. So then, uh, I say that as a joke about the walker because everybody's like, "Oh, blue ticks are slow. Blue ticks are this," and uh, just depends on the blue tick you're hunting, really, and what line of blue tick you're hunting. If you can find them where they're old and slow, yeah. you know they're slow and and uh, mopping tracks and stuff like that. But it's like you know, it's like saying all walkers are slick trees. I've seen some pretty good walkers in my day too, so. Oh yeah, I think there's there's good dogs in all of them, man. I don't I don't really think that it's uh I actually think it's in the beholder, you know, I think it's in the the hand of the handler and if you if you can spend the time with them and keep them going and don't get frustrated and be like them trashy boogers cuz I have some trashy dogs. Well, that's why well, that's can, why I'm talking they can to trash you. out and it's uh That's why I wanted to have you on here because you're such a versatile houndsman. You know, if you go east, then guys get all, they get crazy if if um, a dog runs a coyote or they, you know, or they want them strictly coon dogs and and you're hunting whatever you put your dogs on. That's what you're hunting, right? 
Yeah, and I can I I use uh, I have a plot hound. Um, he's a muscle man. This dog is like nothing I've ever seen. He's just pure muscle. But I'm also I let my dogs out every single day. When I come home, I let them out for at least at two hours a day. I throw collars on them and I kick them out and I do my stuff. I do my chores or come in and eat dinner with the family and stuff. And I just let them run. Yeah. And, uh, and cause I was having a problem with roading them, trying to get them exercise. You know, all them old guys say, Oh, you need to road them. You need to get in your pickup or four wheel or whatever and push them, make them go four to six miles a day. That'll keep them in shape. Well, you go blind hunting and, uh, and them dogs are covering country, and we got places where you, you can get around road to road, and I'd jump in the pickup and take off, and then I'd have six hounds chasing me down. Mm. And I was like, what is going yeah. on? They were so used to me roading them that when that pickup started, they're like, okay, let's go. He wants us to chase him. Yeah. You know, or he wants us to run with him. Right. So I quit doing that. I, qu- I quit roading dogs. And, uh, I, you know, it was, uh, it was one of them learning curves, you know, for me. And I, I that's kind of what I figured out. I, I know there's guys that are going to send a tape mail over that, but it's, uh, that's just something I found out with my dog. Yeah. That spending that time on a four wheeler and pickup, they relied on it because they're like, I'm going to go where you're going. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I quit doing that. And I just, now I'm just recasting them and say, go have fun, go, Go chase stuff. Go go catch something. We have a feral cat issue around these parts. <laughs> yeah, they can they can catch some feral cats, and it's great. Hell, it's great for them. Yeah, get out there and get trailing in them creek bottoms, you know. And like days like this, it was ninety something degrees. Well, that's not true. It was eighty eighty eight degrees today. Wow. And uh, and they can go out there and they'll they'll grind on it, grind out it in the evenings and. They'll tree, and I'll, if they stay treed for a little while, I'll go down there and check, and I'll come home and Abby, my wife, Abby, she goes, what they have? I said, they got a feral cat. Mm. They had a cat up in the top of the cottonwoods, or they caught a coon, or, you know, it's, I don't know, I just kind of let them do their own thing, but when it comes time to hunt, and you put them in that dog box, they know what's going on. You know, they're not going to, they're completely trash broke from deer and antelope and livestock, because where I live, you cannot have a dog chasing sheep or a horse right. or cows or deer antelope. You know, you got to have them. You got to have them broke or you're not going to have a place to hunt. Yeah. So, yeah. But and I think I that, found out I have a problem with uh, skunks. Skunks are a big issue here. Porcupines are a big issue, which my wife's glaring at me now because we just got back from the vet today. Oh, you had a porcupine <laughs> so, catch, huh? Because of them dang porcupines. Yep. Oh, man. It's, uh, you know, yesterday I was up at 5 o'clock in the morning. We shipped a bunch of calves yesterday, and I had to be there early to get them in the corrals. And I was up at 5, out the door at 545, and I was driving down the county roads last night in the dark. And I come around the bend, and I see a coon dive into the grass you know because <laughs> just our just our roads have grass nothing else has grass right and i was like oh i'm gonna go home and i'm gonna go home and eat dinner and eat dinner with the family and stuff and i said i'm gonna grab them dogs because i know exactly where it crossed i was like i'm gonna dump these dogs on that coon and i said we'll get them caught and i told my wife i said i'll be back in 20 minutes 20 minutes i'll be back so 
I load dogs up and go off there, and I'm within about 20 yards where I saw that that coon, quotation marks, dive in the grass. Ah. Went out there and dumped them dogs, and I had my youngest pup opened up. And I looked at them other dogs and hunt them up. Oh, they were gone. They they were trailing single file line, you know, and I heard they were kind of chopping. I was like, oh, no. Then they go up this embankment. I pull out a spotlight, and this embankment's 50, 60 foot tall, and I see something fall off of it. And I thought it was my youngest dog, Maggie. And so I sprinted down there as fast as I could, and it's a damn porcupine. Ooh. And I'm shocking dogs and yelling at them, and I only had two of my males get them. But, but I had one, I had a couple quills down in the canine, and I got my, my dogs are all 70. 70 pound dogs my males and i have one male blue tick that's 90 pounds and then females are about 50 and 60 pounds and uh so he's pretty hard to handle i had him head and healed and mike i couldn't get him out so i had to run him into the vet this afternoon and had him yank it out real quick but it was free of charge because i'm a i'm on the gold star membership at that vet clinic i believe (laughs) I asked him, I said, when am I going to get shares in this company? Yeah. <laughs> I said, I'm sure I'm here a lot. Yeah. You guys take a lot of my money. Well, tell us about, uh, but, tell us about your lion season, your bobcat hunting, you know, those sort of things, Luke, because I know that, you know, in previous conversations we've had, that's, that's what you really enjoy doing. And, and, uh, are you using the, the, the hounds for predator control on the ranch and you know let's get into that part a little bit uh we'll start with the ranch part do you since they're with you all the time are you using them for predator control on the ranch i do i use them for uh um coyote retrieval um they really don't they really don't trail a coyote like if it's a snow track they they won't trail it yeah but i do a lot of uh coyote trapping and coyote calling and uh and if we if i wound one they sure will they sure will trail it up and get it baited up i had a, they retrieved uh 16 wounded coyotes for me last year and uh usually when i go out feeding i take one or two dogs with me all the time hoping we'll cut a nice old bobcat track and that's what that's what i really enjoy doing is chasing bobcats yeah that's probably my that's my that's my top of the list because them things are snaky on the prairie because they know where every hole is they'll pass up every single tree to get to a hole and that's they put on some pretty exciting races and it's a it's a lot of fun so what does it take what does it take in your country out of a dog out of a hound to be able to put a bobcat in a, in a tree if if you can tree a bobcat do you tree many or do they seems like most of them you're catching or, or holing up or, or going to the rocks. They're, yep, they're holing up. Most of them are holing up. We, we've treed quite a few in trees, and they like to tree on them, the trees that are right next to an embankment, and they climb up to the very top of that tree, and they bail out right back on the prairie, and they are checking out. Yeah. So a lot of the time you, got it, you have to help the dog in that kind of a the country because they're treed and they can't see up them pond we have ponderosas out here in juniper uh-huh. in some of these draws and you know and they know it went up it and uh 
But it, a lot of them cats will climb up to the top and jump across. They'll get back on them flats and they'll be booking it. Yeah. And they ain't stopping because they know that country and they know where them holes are at. <laughs> yeah. So they'll put they'll put a heck of a race on. So if you get and it's, so uh, if you get it's a lot of fun. if you get think, if you get dog streed and you get in there and you see there's not a bobcat in a the tree, then then what's your next what's the next thing you do? I I as soon as now I have figured out now if they're treed, I come up above it. Mm-hmm. You know if it because most of the time they're next to a steep hill, so I I'm coming in through the top. Because if it's going to jump, it's jumping to them dogs. Yeah. And then they're going to put so much pressure on it, it's going to do something. It's going to go right back up a tree or it's going to bay up in the sagebrush. Yeah. So I found out now that I need to come up from the top, and that will hold him from jumping because that bobcat's not going to jump to me. They're not like a lion where they'll jump out to a person. But them bobcats are pretty, pretty timid little creatures, and they like to just use their camouflage to hide from you mostly, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's that's what I learned to do. And not many of them will jump down into them dogs. Right. So it's, so you can hold them in a tree. It work out pretty good for getting them. So if you circle around and you come in from that tree high, you've learned that you can hold, hold the bobcats in the tree that way. That's interesting. Absolutely. Cool. Yep. Yeah. Because they, they know they live there 24 yep. seven. <laughs> you know, they know, they know how to get away from stuff. Yeah. So that's just what I figured out. And a lot of people would disagree with that. You know, like you're going to push them out. But I, I promise you, if they jump down to them dogs, it's going to, that cat's coming home with me. Right. Right. How many hounds, of, how so, many hounds at a time are you hunting on? You know, you got Bobcat. I hunt all my dogs together all the time. How many is that? What's your, what's your, I what's think. your count? I have five right okay. now. Okay. I have five. Yep. You got one plot. What else you got? I got a plot. If you ain't got a, got if you a, ain't Harold's high lonesome. If you ain't got a plot, you ain't got a lot. We'll just get that out there right now, right? I, everybody needs to have one plot in their pack. <laughs> if you ain't got a plot in your pack, man, you're missing a lot of excitement. Because <laughs> them things are made for endurance, man. They're they can run with the. There ain't nothing like them plots, man. They they have more endurance than any of them dogs. Yeah. He, he's just, uh, he's a powerhouse and, uh, you know, he's a completely silent dog. That plot is silent and his name's Hank. And if you hear Hank open up, he saw whatever he's chasing. And when Hank opens up, he's going to be the first dog to that tree every single time. Hmm. But he's, uh, he's completely silent. And, uh, as soon as it's on the jump, you'll hear him just, and then it's treed. He, because he was that close to it, and it's he's pretty neat. A lot of people don't like that silent dog, but but he's the only one in the pack that's silent. You know? Right. So he's running with a bunch of blue ticks. So yeah, you know how that. Goes. Yep. Yep. So and then I have uh, I have two pups that were out of that female Lizzie I was telling you about. Okay. I bred her to a English male. And uh, I got 10 pups out of that deal. And I sold three to a guy who works for the Wyoming Game of Fish. And and I sold one to probably one of the best lion hunters I know in the state, and that would be Aaron Curlin. Um, he took one. He took a red tick 
pup that dropped out of there. Yeah. And uh, she's a she's a superstar for that guy. And I sold. Um, I gave one. I gave my super. I have a really skittish pup, super timid dog. I gave him away to my to my sister-in-law and brother-in-law, and then they have that as a house pet. Okay. I got one to a dog that's a FEMA dog, getting trained to be a FEMA um, dog. And then I have one I sold to a guy in South Dakota for a shed hunting dog. Really? So, so it was it was pretty wild. And then I kept two pups, kept the prettiest dang blue tick dog that was in there. His name's Cash. He's that 93-pounder freak of nature hound that I have in a and then the female pup we actually found her outside dead on the ice um she was born outside and was froze down and I came inside and threw her in their trash can and you know, I was like that's probably not a good place for her so I put her in a grocery sack and put her on the counter and daughter comes out and says dad I hear a cat and I was like what she says I hear a kitten so I go over there, and that pup was chirping. So handed her off to the wife, and she heated towels up and brought her back to life, got her nursing, so we kept her. Wow. And uh, she's a phenomenal dog. I told my wife, I said, we're not keeping this dog. There's something wrong with her. She'll never turn out. Right. And I was bound and determined for that. And you and, and you uh, thought that because she turned you, out, and you thought that because she turned mama, out one of the best. You thought that because mom had kicked her out of the box? Is that what you thought? No, she was. My female went after that high tan, ran her down, and was fighting her because she was getting all, getting ready to nest, and she came on cork, man. That was one mean mama dog. Yeah. But uh, she was pushing everything out of her way because she knew she was going to have pups, and she dropped that pup out there. I'll be darned. And that puppy was out there for about an hour on the ice, and I was like, it's for sure dead. But nope, we brought her back to life. Her name's Rose. She is. She's an amazing dog. I, I can't believe it. But she is one heck of a dog. Good trailer, heck of a tree dog. It was <laughs> So it was my wife's miracle puppy, and that was her dog, too. Yeah. And now she's mine. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me, let's circle back around. Well, I, I, I want to ask you about that FEMA dog. That's just kind of an interesting thing. I think everybody knows what a shed hunting dog is, but what are the expectations uh, that are being, you know, where they training that? that pup for or what did they train it for i think they're i think they're going to train it they're training it for um i believe search and rescue okay. yeah um to find people and like if a disaster happened they'll be able to use that dog to find them to find people that are injured or something i really don't know much about it so yeah i know she made the gillette paper for what and uh, he made the Gillette for being the first FEMA dog up here in northeastern Wyoming. Okay. In training. Probably, so that was, probably search, that and, search and rescue stuff like, you know, somebody from Indiana cuts down 25 there and runs out of gas and tries to cut across country and gets lost. <laughs> right? That that could be yep. it, man. That, yeah, that could be it. I don't know. I don't know nothing about that stuff. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's just an interesting thing. I, I I think that's pretty cool that that uh, somebody took one of your one of your pups to do that. I wanted to circle back around to it. So, 
So I'm interested. I'm, I'm, yeah, I thought it was pretty neat. I'm curious about something. So you wake up in the morning, you're going, or, and you're going out to feed, or you're doing, you know, you're working your cattle or your sheep or, or whatever your, you know, your job is that day. Do you just throw dogs in the, in the truck with you and go, or are they riding, are they riding yeah, up front I'm, with if you? I'm going out gathering. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I throw them. If I'm feeding cows, um, I have to haul hay bales. And my feed route, most of the year, is about 115 miles is what I feed during the day. Mm-hmm. And I grab one or two dogs, and I throw them in the front seat with me. And, you know, they just sit there looking out the front window the whole time, just looking for something. And every time I stop, I kick them out. And, you know, most of the time, they, they stay really close. They got a really good handle on them. They listen really well. And because and, that's, what, that's what I want. I want a dog that listens good and has a really easy recall and but can still get out there and get with it you know yeah so you just treat them like ranch so, you just treat them so like yeah, ranch I, dogs. I take them with me feeding yeah I, I i hell i treat them like pets they all live in a kennel yeah they all have their own kennels down there and uh they do live outside that lizzie dog she lived inside mm-hmm. and uh but that living inside i'm all about it so I'm not I'm not criticizing anybody that has a dog inside. I think it's fantastic, but she was always cold. In the winter time, she never got a winter coat. She stayed she she stayed really thin in the hair, and uh, she was always cold. You know, yeah. she had, her feet got cold, and them dogs that are climatized. Um, that's probably the only reason they're out there is to climatize, and you know, and it's. I think that's important. And same I, thing with. I think they should be outside if they're going to be hunting in the cold. And same thing with heat. You know, you let a dog lay around in the air conditioner all the time, and then you take them out when it's hot. They're gonna they're gonna be more prone to overheating, as well. I believe. Yep, I, that's that's exactly right. It, I I don't have a thing against raising yeah. raising puppies in the house and things like that, but eventually that dog's got to learn its place. You know and. There's nothing wrong. Me me personally, you know, I used to be a canine handler. I've said that on the podcast before, I know. But at the end of the day, after oh, yeah. you ride around with a dog all day, that dog was happy to have its space and me have my space. And uh, it was a good it was oh, it was a good combination that way. And and we we kept everything in check. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so, but yeah, but I think. Uh, dogs that are going to be out in that kind of weather if you if you bring them from the wood stove and then they go out on a cat track and for whatever reason they've got to stay out there for a day or two days if they're not climatized you're asking for problems and it doesn't matter if you're hunting raccoons and absolutely raccoons in indiana you know dogs get lost then too so Uh, yeah, you can definitely tell a dog that lives inside when it gets out in that snow and it's carrying its feet everywhere. Yeah. You know, pretty soon it's hopping on three legs and it's swapping legs yep. and you're like, that dog's feet are cold. And then you have them out there and and in the cold, which mine are not, they have a six by six insulated hut with a dog house inside. Yeah. So they're double protected. I put their water in there and it's, it can be, when it gets below zero, yeah, their water freezes. Mm-hmm. But but they also have that dog house inside of that hut and it was 25, 30 below. And you worry about them dogs, you know, you're like, it is 
freaking cold. Wind's hucking. And I would go down there, and I packed it full of straw, you know. And you go down there, and they're, they, it is 110 degrees inside that doghouse. Yeah. They're completely warm, and you're like, I don't need to worry about these things, you know. It's uh, They got it figured out. But okay, so we had to. They're staying we warm. Had, I, had we, it, I have it set up really nice. You're, you're holding dogs and, and housing dogs outside in extreme conditions here. So we had this discussion on the pod, podcast a few few months ago, maybe, um, about doghouse sizes. What size doghouses are inside those insulated huts? So I mentioned my females. I have a female Maggie that I got from the Aaron Curlin. She is uh, about 50 pounds. She's the smallest dog I own. Female, 60, 65 pounds. My males are plotting that, that Harold High Lonesome Blue Tick. They're about 75 pounds, and then I have that 90-pound dog. Mm-hmm. And I have dog houses made for medium-sized dogs. And, uh, thank you very much. You know, it, it's, why do you do that? Then big old dogs can, cause, cause then they can hold their body. Heat. Yes. Yes. You know, it's, uh, it, it, the bigger it is, the more that heat's gonna, gonna get away from the dog and it's going to make that dog cold. They need to confine that heat and use it as a heater, you know, and they need to be able to heat themselves. And, uh, I have a prime example of this, me and my little boy, Parker, we went lion. We have a lion area open in the Bighorn Mountains. It's open all year long, unlimited quota. So in the summertime, the end of July, we'll we'll fly up to the mountains and we'll go try to try to uh, bear ground lion hunt. And this year, we went up there and right off the bat, we got up there that night, uh, Friday night. Woke up Saturday morning at four o'clock in the morning. And we started pounding ground, free casting dogs. I took uh, took a young pup, and then my two two pups off Lizzie's that they're probably a year and a half old. And then a 10 month old puppy went up there and, and, and I took my plot. So, so he was the oldest of them. He's about three years old, took him up there and they started trailing, trailing real good. And, um, they ended up jumping a bear and had to get him out of it. I, we cannot run bears and we cannot run bear in the state of Wyoming. And there's a lot of campers and stuff up there that got the dogs called off and, went back and checked the creek and sure enough it, there was a lion track in there so i put them back on it and they trailed it for about hour and a half kind of having a really hard problem with it and anyways it we get we go we call the dogs off head back to camp and we had a hail storm and i tell you what that temperature went from about 60 degrees to about 35 soaked the ground we're frozen we're wet and uh them dogs have so much body heat. I had them on a tie out and, uh, I brought them inside the tent. I was like, man, we packed dogs in there. And that night we had the windows open, <laughs> we had the door screen open. Them dogs were, they heated you up, you know, yeah. and that's a prime example, how much body heat them dogs can do. Just like people leave their dogs in a dog box at a motel in the winter time. People are like, that's horrible. Mm-hmm. Trust me, you got three dogs in a dog box. That place is more comfortable than that cheap motel room you're renting. I can guarantee you that. Dogs have metabolic rates that people that uh, people don't understand. And when you try to, you know, you see people that, that treat their dogs like they're humans. And it's just not, 
natural for that dog. The dog is capable of heating and cooling itself. And we let the human emotion come into that where we think, well, I wouldn't be comfortable out there. Well, your, your system is not set up like a dog's system. They are supposed to, they are designed to endure that sort of stuff. So I, it drives me crazy and I'm, I'm glad to hear some, some, you know, from, from a guy like you, that's housing dogs in those extreme conditions. That's exactly what I've told people. You know, you put that big canine condo out there and you think he's going to stretch out in it. It's not happening. You're doing more harm for that dog no. than you are. No, he's cur- yep. curled up. Yep. You got that big canine condo out there and that dog's curled up in the corner. Trying to shiver. Trying to stay warm. Going. Man, I just need some warmth. That's yep. It's it's impossible. But yeah, that's it's medium sized dog houses for big dogs. Keep them tight and they like it. If it's too hot for them in the summertime, they lay outside. Yes. You know, you'll go down there. I go down there at about 1030 at night to go get them to go coon hunting. And they're all freaking sprawled out, you know, laying. And I, I went there. I have a dirt floor kennel. Um, and I go down there and spray it down with water. And they're pretty potty trained in that thing. Because I have the, I, like I said, I live with them. So I go down there in the morning. I let them out. They go to the bathroom. They're not, they're not, um they're not contaminating their kennels by crapping and peeing everywhere in there. You know, it's, it's pretty clean. Right. And they got it figured out where they're pretty much potty trained in that kennel. Yep. You leave them there for a couple days, you know, they will, they'll use their outside kennel as a bathroom, but I kill it. I go down there about once a month and I kill the ground up and, uh, you know, it stays, it stays really fresh, but I'm also not letting them go to the bathroom on it. And I think that's a, that's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, with having dirt, you know, I'd really like to have concrete. Um, but then again, it's, you know, the dirt's fine. It's keep it clean. That's the biggest thing to fight parasites and stuff. Right. Ear infections with the dust and stuff. And then I've ran into that. I've had ear infections because of the dirt, having extremely dirty ears and stuff. But, but you stay up on, on hound maintenance, on cleaning their ears out, and keeping their kennels, pretty much dust free getting that keeping that dust settled down they they can they can live on that dirt ground i believe yeah yeah well your ground's a little bit different oh. there than i've noticed out out here in montana completely different ground you know you put water on this ground you can put a lot of water on this ground and it just soaks it up if you put a lot of water on the ground where i'm at then you get mud and you get i mean serious mud springtime is just muddy and the you know the dog's feet get soft in it and stuff so depending on where you live and the soil composition you have uh makes a big difference on that for sure yeah our soil is uh if we get an inch of rain it just runs off yeah <laughs> it just it, it, if we got an inch of rain we got a flood yeah you know our, our ground just don't take the water yeah but it's uh it's hard ground, a lot of bet night, you know, really slimy, nasty. It rains you know, a couple tenths of an inch and you're 
you're slipping around like you're in the gumbo in Louisiana. You know, you're just like, my gosh, this is a nasty mess. You can't stay on the road. Yeah, some of this, com- some of this, con- but yeah, it's, some it's, of these construction sites up here right now. I mean, running equipment, it's like moon dust. You know, it's just, and it gets rained on, and then it turns into slime. But by the next day, it's gone. You know. Yeah. It's it's packed down and and ready yeah. to get churned up again. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, yeah. Tell us about tell us about line hunting in Wyoming. I got some questions. I've heard that there's a lot of a lot of different type laws in Wyoming for a person that comes out there and line hunts about how long you can stay at the tree and and different stuff like that. Do you have any insight on that? Uh, uh, say, uh, repeat that question. So there's, there, I, I've heard that once you have a lion in a tree in Wyoming, there's only a certain amount of time limit that you're allowed to stay at that tree to make the decision whether you're going to take the cat or you're going to pull off of it and and go somewhere else. Once you arrive there, is that is there any truth to that, or what's your experience with that? I I believe the regulations say. If the lion is treed upon arrival, you must decide whether to release the lion or take the lion. I don't believe it might say immediately release. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure on what the regulations say, but I don't think that they're gonna. I don't think there's a time like you have to decide within two minutes. Okay, you know, right? I I don't know that. I I think you need to do it reasonably if you. If you tree a female and kittens, um, I believe it is law that you need to get out of there. You need to get dogs out of there and let them go on. Right. Um, and that's that. Just in that anyway. Yeah. If you tree a female with kittens, you're going to get dogs and get out of there. Because none of us want to see them kittens get hurt and, you know, and, and harass a female. You just. I think all of us up here are are doing that. Once we treat something, we do snap a couple picks and we we get out of there. Sure, yeah. You know, and in the state of Wyoming, it is against the law to shoot a ki- uh, a cat with spots. Right. I think that's pretty standard. Um, it is. Yeah. yeah. Acro- I I think so too. Yeah. But and you cannot you cannot release dogs on multiple lion tracks. Like if there's a female, I, kitten, yeah. I don't believe you can legally put your dogs on. I have, I have read. Now, if you're I have read that regulation. Happens, you, yep. And if you're free casting, like say it's kind of bare ground, and you free cast into a canyon, and they jump a kitten female, um, it, it's kind of your responsibility to get down there and get dogs out of there. Um. Because if you do release off a road and there's a female with kittens, you're gonna, you're most likely gonna get a ticket. Right. <laughs> if they, you know, if they do that, and if your dog killed the kitten and you called it in, they're 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 gonna come check on you. They're gonna be like, "Where'd you release your dogs?" And if there's a three sets of tracks there and you know it's a female with kittens, you better not be letting your dogs out. Right. Right. Yeah, I did. I did read that specific regulation about. When there's evidence to show, I think it's worded. When there's evidence to show that there's a female with kittens, it's illegal to pursue that lion. Exactly. Yeah, you said it a whole heck of a lot better than I did. Yeah. Well, that's the that's the legal side, 
you know, that that's just um, the the legal experience on that. So, um, yep. Well, Chase, um, tell us about tell us about the the bobcat hunting and are you are you guys have a lot of bobcats or? We do. Our mountains have a lot of bobcats that are extremely hard to catch. Because uh, in the Bighorn Mountains to the west of me, there's a, a lot of outcroppings, rock outcroppings. And 90% of the time, that's where they're going. Mm-hmm. They're going to run in them rock crops, and, and they're going to get away from you. And um, But like the eastern side of the state, next to South Dakota, them bobcats like to tree. You know, they, they actually tree fairly good and they're a blast they're a blast to chase that's my that's my my most favorite thing right there is and it's hunting them black hills for bobcats and i don't take you know i don't i don't take them i take a few and you know i get a big tom i'm going to take him but you know you can run young cats you can run females it doesn't matter it's an unlimited amounts of bobcats you can kill in the state of wyoming so so I think it's up to the hunters that be selective because it's worth it. Yeah. You know, you're not going to, you're not going to make any money or whatever. Cause everything, cause I, like I said, I, I grew up in the trapper world and, and everybody wants bobcats. But I said, when you're catching kittens, why catch a, a cat you can't sell when you can go out there and catch five coyotes, go catch them coyotes. They're worth more money than them baby bobcats. What is a Western? Keep them big. Old. What's a Western Wyoming coyote bringing now? uh in the on the market you know i killed 102 coyotes last year from november till march and uh that's trapping and that's trapping and hunting um shooting them off <laughs> shooting them off my feed grounds you know i shot a lot out of the pickup um shooting them off them calving grounds and they really don't hurt our cows um they're not calf killers yeah they will kill calves but you release a dog into the middle of our cows, you got your dog better be fast because them cows are going to hunt him down. You know that's just a western cow. Yeah, they're they're ornery, and uh, so yeah, they go out there and uh, they'll eat, they'll follow them. They they go get up there on the feeding grounds where them cows are calving, and they love eating that afterbirth. You know they'll be out there sure. stomping on that stuff or stillborn. You know, and man, that's a heck of a good place to pull up and get to some coyote shot but but anyways back to your question it was uh last year my first sale of first i averaged over 90 bucks a piece for them coyotes and that's put up that skin fleshed and put up and the second you know once that corona stuff started coming on hearing rumor about it that hurt the fur market and then it dropped it down to about 75 right is what i averaged that second sale but that's the most that's the highest price coyotes I've ever sold. And of course that's an average. Sure. Which for an average price, that's, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. Cause I was selling, there was some that would go for 150 and then some that would go for 40 bucks, you know, and then $40 coyotes will kill an average. Yeah. Same with the cats. We'd love to, hit, we'd um, love to hit $40 coyotes in the East. You just don't, yeah, yeah. $40 is, is a good price for a coyote in the, you know, from the East. For sure. Yeah. And then I have the benefit also of uh, my boss is a pilot. Um, his wife is a commercial pilot. His son's a commercial pilot. And we have a helicopter, and we do a lot of flying for for the county 
predator and I get a gun for him quite often and and we gun a lot of coyotes and and that's a good day uh picking coyotes up there I, bet. And that, I like to use them dogs for that too <clears throat> you because you, you 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 can wound one and and them dogs will get it found that plot's really good at it so are you flying he's him? A, he's a really what do you fly him with you nope nope I leave him in the oh, okay I leave him in the truck or go home and get him yeah okay <laughs> so a lot of the time I just go if I have a problem I'll go back the next day and that dog can pick up that blood you know it's that blood's pretty strong, and that's mostly what he's trailing is that blood, and and it's you can get him found pretty easy. Yeah. So, what's your average bobcat race? We're kind of jumping around here, but we were talking about bobcats, and I sidetracked you on coyotes. I'm, I apologize for that. So, from yeah, them. What's your what's your average length of race on a bobcat out there? Oh man, it's uh, it could be a, it could be a layup. <laughs> it yep. could just be a, a dump them and tree it. You know, it could be a 30 second deal. It can be a 10 minute deal or last year, that Lizzie dog and this Chaka dog, I cut them out on a track at nine. No, at about seven forty-five, around there, seven forty-five, eight o'clock. And we did not get that Bobcat jumped until afternoon. Um, probably about, 1230 or so wow they jumped it and then them old blue ticks grinded it and they were shocked so i went back and got a plot and a couple pups and dumped them in front of them and and that plot's the one that caught him and it took us six hours to catch him after he was jumped or from the time he no that was that was start to finish and that's probably the longest that's probably the longest i've allowed a dog to pursue a track yeah (laughs) Because after a while, you know, I, I was I found four scratches on that. You know, where I knew it was a Tom, and he was scratching, and he we were in his hunting ground, so them dogs are sitting there doing circles. Right. Just barely moving, and I can tell every rock pile. He went from this rock pile to that one to that that juniper tree, that, and it was just – so I, I was trying to help him out. I walked with him and got ahead of him, and I'd call him over here and – get it going and then it was i just constantly walked with them and and helped them out because it was it was a hard track yeah and uh we actually got one that morning before that and it took 30 minutes right at daylight i found a a little bobcat track to the point where you knew it was a smaller cat and i ran it anyways we hold it up and and i could have reached in there and grabbed her you know it was a small cat, and I just called them off, and we went and found another one. And, and that, that was the longest race I've probably ever allowed the dogs to pursue. Yeah. But That's still most un- of them, I would say, it takes, you, it takes you a couple hours to on the prairie to get one. Get one jumped and get it caught if you do catch it. But like I told you the other day, it's not. My percentage per catching is not very good. And everybody's like, you catching 80%? And I was like, no. I said, I would, I say out on the prairie, I'll catch 40% of the tracks I put them on. And that's just because of the, the cold trailing. And our winter is snow at night. And by 9.30 or 10, it's going to melt off. Yeah. You know, it's just that that different. And once that snow mountains, that, that, them dogs are done. You know, they're having a hard time. And they can maybe, they can maybe track the 
the shade patches, but that's about it. Yep. Yep. That makes perfect sense. Makes perfect sense. Yep. Well, Luke, we've been rolling here for a good conversation. And, and if, if you got anything you want to tell the Houndsman XP world before we wrap this thing up, Yeah, I do. I would like to, uh, I think to me, what I have figured out about my dogs is that the more time you can spend with them, and I I try to tell people this, but nobody wants to listen to anybody. (laughs) You know, take take it for what it is, but I believe every minute you spend with that dog is training time. Every single second you're with that dog, you're training that dog. No matter if it's good habits, bad habits, whatever you do with that dog is 100% training. And if you can build a bond with that dog and spend a lot of time with them, they'll get to the point where they know exactly what you want and when they can get away with stuff and when they cannot. It is, it's absolutely amazing how much some dogs can read a human. Yeah. And uh, I think the only way you can figure that out is spending a lot of time with them. And, and, uh, that's that's just i've been on such a pattern now no matter what i let them dogs out and i let them come up in the shop with me whatever and i let them have their free time where they can just run and and play but when they jump in the back of that truck and they they about blow through that box they spin around in there and they know exactly what they're going to do yep. and and i think that's that was taught because of time spent with them dogs uh, and you see a lot of guys when lion season opens, their dogs have been locked up for six months. They've been getting fed, and then a couple of weeks before season, they pound some exercise into them. Then they go out and their dogs are out of gas. Right. And then I haven't seemed to have that problem. They're always in shape and they're ready to go at moment's notice. And I think I think that's a big key, especially for the helm guys that are that are just just starting with this deal. I think the wife deal is a really big, it's a really big thing. If your wife does not agree with you having dogs or she hates your dog, I think you need a new wife. You need to get it figured oh, out. Yeah. yeah you <laughs> you got to figure it out because it's a, it's a bad deal. I've seen a lot of guys lose their health because of a, you know, they're losing their families because they're either doing too much hunting or not involving the family or, or jealousy between the wife and the dogs. I see, I see that a lot. But I've been guilty of that myself. You know, I took vacations and different stuff, and it was always centered around dogs. And every once in a while, you gotta you gotta wake up and and realize that the family doesn't need that all the time. You know, sometimes it's good to go do yeah. some things that they want to do. Uh, and my wife has taught me that she loves the dogs she's involved with the dogs you know we have puppies she's like oh you're gonna have another litter of puppies but within two hours of those puppies being bored she's out there born she's out there looking at them and then she's taking you know she wants to take care of them and it's really cool and that's another reason why i wanted to have you on the podcast because it's you you absolutely involve your family in everything from antelope hunting to deer hunting to, you know, whatever you're doing, um, that, that kind of brings up a question. So you're so far out here on this ranch. Are you with your kids, you guys homeschool your kids, you send them to school or, or what's the, what's the status on that? 
No, my wife Abby. She's a she's a fourth grade school teacher okay. in town. Yeah. She, uh, you know, she takes the kids to school, and she does. She definitely deserves the mother of the year because she does it all. I I don't go to town, you know. Like I told you, it. I don't go to town. I call her and be like, "Honey, I need a roll of Copenhagen, a couple cases of beer, and about four bags of dog food." Yeah. She's like, you're going to have to come to town sometime. I was like, not if you keep bringing me dog food, Copenhagen, and beer. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely good. Yeah. Oh, but it's, man. Uh, nope, kids go to public school, and uh, my little boy Parker, and he's a nine-year-old, and, my Pey- and Peyton, she's an 11-year-old, and the only reason that girl got hunter safety is because she wanted to kill a turkey. She didn't want nothing else to do with anything. She just she's like, I need hunter safety because I'm going to kill a turkey. Yeah. I was like, perfect. So we went and got it. She got she got the biggest turkey on the place, man. It was fantastic. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. But it is that hunting. It's a. I've I've hunted a lot, and I love chasing mule deer with a bow and spot and stalking antelope with a bow. That's a. That's a. That's a feat in itself because that's tough. Yes, it is. And I did it with my recurve this year, which I was super. I didn't. I did not kill my buck with the recurve, but uh, but I did get both my does with the recurve, and that was that was a lot of fun. Three antelope. So I had to grab the compound out to shoot the shoot the buck this year. But. Three antelope limit out there, huh? Oh no, no. You can in my area. I can get two bucks, and I can get four does. No kidding. Antelope. And then I can get a buck, a general deer, and I can usually get um, two doe tags also. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty. How do you find time to work? Fill a freezer. You know, it's after work, man. That's how I do it. It's after work and weekends until the. That's why I don't rifle hunt because October's seven days a week and it's busy. Yeah, yeah, because you guys. But I still find time to find time to spend time with them hounds and get some good hunting in but well chase it's all about managing your time that's right that's right prioritizing you work when you when it's time to work you you hunt when you can and and try to get your work done early so you can hunt more that's right and like this year me and my little boy wanted to do a son and dad trip because that little boy hunts with me if i have them hounds in the truck He's sitting in that pickup. That's cool. And, you know, and he's, he, he really enjoys it. And, uh, of course he has to be the gunner. Right. So, uh, you know, we don't, we don't kill our coons. Um, I was pretty lucky this year. I got into a hot spot of coons and I, this was probably my best year coon hunting. And I, I caught over 50 coons and we shot five of them. And, uh, and my boss was like, you're not killing them coons. Like, no, I was like, if I kill them, I have nowhere to hunt right i said i'm tired of driving to other states to go coon hunting or on the other side of the mountain and bagging people to let me go run coons and i said when we have them here i'm gonna keep them so, what's he say so it's a what's he say about is he good with it and me and him oh yeah he don't care yeah, them coons ain't gonna hurt nothing we're running we're running around here nope so uh yeah they're not going to hurt nothing out here all they're going to eat is mine right our creeks don't have crawfish in them or yeah 
you know, I think that, and you know, we have some bullhead in our creeks and, uh, huh. well, good stuff. You're uh, cutting out on me a little bit, Luke. I don't know what's going on with our connection here, but, uh, we'll have to edit this part out. Okay. Oh, there you are. You're back. You're back, Luke. Can you yep. can you hear me? Can you hear me now? Yes, I can. We'll have, we'll we'll do a little fancy yep. editing on that part. All right, perfect. But uh, Luke, I just want to tell you I appreciate you jumping on the podcast with us tonight, and letting the letting the houndsmen across the United States get to know you, and taking us to an interesting part of the world, Northeast Wyoming. It's not some place that uh, a lot of people think about hounds and hounds, uh, houndsmen a lot, but I know that just from following you on social media that, that you got it going on out there. I wanted to talk to you about that pack of hounds and, and I, I think it's just uh, a lot of good stuff there. So I really appreciate you coming on. All right. Yeah. I appreciate you inviting me on and it was a pleasure. It was a a good talk. You bet. You bet Luke. Hey, I really appreciate it. Yep. Stay in touch and, until I get through that country and we can turn turn hounds loose together, you follow your hounds and I'll follow mine. <laughs>